This is the NWO Podcast, a.k.a. The Dub. I'm your host, Mr. X. Today, we have as our guest, host of the 99 Forever Podcast and writer and editor-in-chief at the Heavy Hockey Network, Eric Friesen. Eric, how's it going, bud? Oh, I'm doing really good. Thanks for having me, man. Great, great. Awesome to have you. Um, So, I want to start off by saying, you know, Oilers in the playoffs, hallelujah. You know, after game one, things were a little shaky, but you were at the barn in that game. How How's the environment? Wow. Well, I mean, I'll tell you what. I have been waiting a long time to go to my first playoff game. Uh, in 2006, uh, that was the year I actually went to my first Oilers game at all. And they ended up going to the Stanley Cup final that year. I was 17 at the time, and I thought, well, you know, this is now that they've got Pronger and the team's headed in the right direction, that, you know, they're going to be in the playoff year after year, and I'm going to have plenty of chances to go. <laughs> I didn't end up I, I didn't end up uh, being uh, able to go to a, a game for many years after that. The, the next time they, they made it uh, was 11 years later, and I was living in Toronto at the time, so I was unfortunately – unable to go see a playoff game that year and then the past two years there haven't been any fans allowed in the building so here we are uh 16 years after my first Oilers game I was finally able to attend my first playoff game and other than the final five minutes of regulation time it was a pretty exciting game uh the fans were just rocking from puck drop even before puck drop really uh uh I know that the Oilers don't always get the best reviews on their in-game presentation, but I thought they did a phenomenal job uh, getting the fans going for the start of the playoffs. And yeah, they, they had some shaky moments. Obviously, uh, the, the biggest gaffe came right at the end, as I sort of alluded to with Mike Smith uh, coughing up the puck that led to the eventual game winner. Right up the middle. Uh, right up the middle. But other than that, I mean, I thought the Oilers played a fine game. They weren't they weren't terrible by any means. There there was one point where it was thirty three shots apiece, and the score was three three. They were in that game right to the end. I, I totally anticipated they were going to overtime. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get, quite get there. But all in all, it was a great experience, and uh, I'm glad that I uh, still got to attend. And I have lots of good memories of it, regardless of how the outcome was. Yeah, they had a couple power play goals, uh, but. I think five on five, uh, Dano and Kopitar did a good job at shutting those guys down a bit, right? And I don't know if it came down to goaltending or not, but I mean, I, I guess you can say it did just because at that whole uh, Mike Smith gift there. But yeah, it, it wasn't pretty, but you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I mean, here's the thing. Like there was a lot of people saying after that game, you know, should there be some debate about who, who starts game two? And for me, I never really thought that that was any any type of question. Like Mike Smith was going to be the starter. You look at how he played in the month of April. He was the second star of the month in the entire league, 9-0. and This is a guy who deserved a chance to be back in the net. Now, if the Oilers would have lost again. Yeah, then you kind of. Then, then per- perhaps you could talk about Costner. And I know that people said, well, he's never won a playoff game as an Oiler, and he's last his lost his last 10 playoff starts, excuse me. So 
there wasn't as much confidence in him as you'd think there would be for a guy who went undefeated over the course of an entire month. But I think he just showed like his ability to not only bounce back himself, but the team's ability to bounce back and get get the win that they needed the following night. I mean, uh, he just became uh, one of only six goalies in NHL history over the age of 40 to record a shutout. Yep. But looking looking back at game one for a second, I, I mean, yeah, there, there were some ones that you, you'd like him to have back. I mean, after the Oilers worked so hard to tie it 2-2, uh, there was sort of a momentum-killing goal that he let in. Oh, I that was the that I think the Lemieux goal. I think, or... yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, it's like you know that's one that you have to have. Yep. And then of course you go to the third period, and you know he's playing fine. It's just ultimately it, it ended uh, really badly for him, and, and he owned up to it after the game, which is good because you know you might think that he could blame it on someone else or maybe he won't want to talk about it, but no, he, he came right out and said, look, that was on me. I cost us the game and I need to be better. And he was better. And that's uh, a big reason why they won last night. Yeah. You can chalk that one up to just, you know, it, it, it being game one players, I'm sure had nerves. Right. So, but uh, you know what game two, they rebounded as hard as they could. Right. And uh, you know, they slam dunk with a six, nothing victory. That was, that was pretty impressive. I'm not going to lie. And uh, I was in the barn for that one. And that was my first playoff game ever. And you know what? I couldn't ask for anything more. Um, McDavid really, him and Dreisaitl, you know what? The, the whole team just played so well defensively that I think that really helped Mike Smith. You know, with a goalie being that age, I, I wanted to ask you, do you think, I mean, here, it's very, very, this might be a dumb question, but would you start Mike Smith? in game three just because i'm asking this because is because you know he's an older goalie and throughout the season they did go you know like between the both goalies smith and koskinen right and maybe that contributed in helping smith you know make it a little bit easier on his body on his body right but in these playoffs you know it's so draining the wear and tear on especially if you're over 40 years old and you're a netminder moving side to side up and down um, would you would you even contemplate putting in Koskinen for Game Three, even though they got the win? Like, do you have that kind of trust in Koskinen, or is it just ride or die on Mike Smith? Well, the way I look at it, is the Oilers are a team that had to have a, a tandem goaltender situation this year. They, yeah, there wasn't one clear cut starter. I mean, Mike Smith had an outstanding season last year, and then off the start of the year. You know, he, he's the number one goalie, but he gets hurt in the third game of the season. He isn't back until January, I believe. And then he got re-injured shortly after that. Now he, he played a lot down the stretch and took the net back. But Miko Koskinen really played the lion's share of the games this year. Exactly. And when, when you look at Mike Smith, like, yes, he, he did pick up most of the work down the stretch, but he only played 28 games this year. So it's not like he was overworked. He had lots of time off. Basically, there were three months where he was at home, not on the ice, because he was rehabbing that leg that uh, Devin Shore landed on in uh, the third game of the season against the Ducks. Yeah, fucking but, Devin Shore, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I actually don't mind Devin Shore. I know he takes a lot of flags. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I know, but I, he, he, I think he's actually pretty... Uh, pretty useful player at times uh, when he's used in, you know, a, a limited role. He's a utility um, knife, kind of. You know, you can use him in the bottom six, use him as a extra forward kind of thing, right? Penalty killer, but... Yeah. But then you look at Mike Smith, like, okay, he had a 9.15 save percentage. That's 
just under top tier level uh, save percentage in the league. His 2.81 goals against average is also pretty good. So, I mean, the numbers were solid. He didn't work a lot down the stretch. So I feel like he should be able to go on a, a run here. It, it, as long as the Oilers go on a run, he's going to play. I, I don't think they're going to pull him out unless he get, you know lost two, maybe three games in a row. And then they're, they're back up against the wall, even if they do that. So uh, realistically, I, I expect Mike Smith to be the starter throughout the playoffs. Yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't go away from him. You know, he, he does have the experience too. And, you know, he's been on a couple deep runs before. Uh, most notably going to the 2012 conference final with the Coyotes when he backstopped them to an unexpected run. Not at 40 years old, though. Not at 40. <laughs> Not at 40. He was 30 at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fair. But at, at the same time, he's played some of his best hockey in his career, you could say, the last two seasons as well. Like, Which is very so weird. I, it, it is. But, it, you know, he, he strikes me as a guy who senses that his opportunities to win a Stanley Cup are dwindling and that this might be one of if not the last kick at the can to try and do it and last night he just kind of showed like I'm going to respond I'm going to help get this team back a win because I coughed one up the other night and and also he's he's a player who has a little bit of a fire inside of him right like he he plays better when he's, I think, a little pissed off, and I think that getting that uh, getting that tough one out of the way at the start might actually benefit him going forward here. So I, I wouldn't be uh, too worried about Mike Smith at all. I agree with you to an extent there that you know they do have to ride or die by Mike Smith, but the thing is, is that like I said, throughout the season they really relied on getting uh, wins by playing that you know Smith. And then Koskinen, Smith and Koskinen kind of thing, right? Like they wouldn't play him more than two games in a row. And I, I'm just worried personally that they play him three, four games in a row and that really, you know, wears and tears his body and he succumbs to an injury. And then what happens then? Then you have Koskinen and Skinner, right? And, you know, I have no problem with Koskinen playing once every three, four games, but I don't want him to be my starter, right? So. Yeah. And Skinner's on his own playoff run right now, too. Right? He is. Like, they he, just they swept Abbotsford, just... uh, I think, right? So. They did. Yeah. They did. So uh, he's playing down there. And, you know, a lot of people question Ken Holland's decision to not go get a goalie at the deadline. And I really think that what was out there wasn't worth the acquisition cost. Yeah, there was so no one they, to get. Well, if you're going to get a goaltender, you want it to be in a clear-cut, no-doubt upgrade. And I think that any of the goaltenders that were mentioned were lateral moves at best and I wouldn't give up a first-round pick or even a second-round pick for a guy who might be just slightly better. No, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, it has to be someone who you're like, okay, this is a true number one goalie. This really increases our chance to go in a deep playoff run. But I don't know. I I don't have a lot of uh, fear about Mike Smith, which some people might say is foolish considering how he's played in the playoffs the last – you know, two years and really he had that one bad game against the Blackhawks where he you know he lost the net and Nico Koskinen played basically every game after that. Yeah. But last year in the playoffs, he was fine. Like he was fine against the Jets. It's just that Connor Hellebuck was the MVP of the series. No, yeah, so, he was definitely our one bright spot last year. Yeah, like he he was the Mike Smith was an excellent goalie. He just got beaten by a better goalie in that series. So it's not like 
he was getting blown out. Those were very tight games. And actually, I would say the Oilers outplayed the Jets in the majority of that series. They just never got the result. They just couldn't um, score. Yeah. And, I mean, there's so many other factors that we can get into, but then we're going to go down another... Oh, uh, rabbit hole, yeah. I'll talk about last one. <laughs> you're right, you're right. <laughs> yeah, but honestly, I, I just feel like Mike Smith isn't what's going to break this team. Like, if... If, if they lose to the Flames in the second round, or if they lose to whoever, the Abs in the conference final, I mean... Knock on wood. Yeah, if they get there, that'd be great. I don't, I don't think the reason that they lose is going to be because Mike Smith uh, was playing... Throwing it up the middle. Like that. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's going to be because they got beat by uh, a, a better team. And, yeah. and so I don't think Mike Smith is going to be what hangs the series all the way off. That's fair. That is very fair. Okay, so Evan Bouchard and Duncan Keith both play over 20 minutes, and they're the only yeah. two players to do so on the whole team, including Darnell Nurse, uh, Connor McDavid, and Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, What are your thoughts on those guys taking the load and just putting it on their back? 40-year-old Keith, 20-year-old uh, Bouchard. Yeah, you know, pretty much at opposite ends of their career. Yeah. And the Oilers... The Oilers traded for uh, Duncan Keith last summer. I sort of envisioned those two as defensive partners because, you know, you got a lefty, righty. Also, Evan Bouchard at that time, I think, had only played 21 NHL games or something like that. So I thought, well, now you've got one guy who's played like 1,300 NHL games. Why don't you have these guys as a natural pairing and sort of have Keith be a mentor for Bouchard? They did have some games together this year, but they weren't consistent line mates. You know, it's, you know, the lines were juggled around a little bit, but looking at those two, I do like when they do get to play together. I do think that um, they complement each other well because, you know, Keith, he, he doesn't score the way he used to. He isn't the point producer he was five or ten years ago, but, you know, he still has a lot of that veteran savvy in him and he knows how to move the puck cleanly out of his own end and you got Bouchard, who's just like ready to take off as a star in this league. I, I like the way that those guys play. And I just think that if Bouchard can even get elevated higher in the lineup, we're going to see a bigger impact from him and it's hopefully be uh, anchoring the power play next season. But as for last night, yeah, I mean, look, Bouchard comes through at a huge moment, slap shot from the point where his good friend and fellow 2018 draftee. Ryan McLeod tips in the shot uh, for the three nothing goal. That was Duncan beautiful. Keith, I, it was, it was, I mean, just to see the like, two guys the Oilers picked in the first and second round in 2018, four years later, contributing to such a big goal. That's what you want in the draft. You pick these guys, and then three or four years later, they have a moment like that. So that was just, you know, looking back to I remember that draft so well. Just to think that like these guys have like now come. To this point, it's, it's fantastic to see. And as for Keith, I mean, I think that he was very steady, uh, made a lot of nice plays, moving the puck out of his own end. And um, I think he's been underrated good so far in uh, in this series. I mean, he had a, a big assist on a, a redirection to Yamamoto in game one. Uh, hard, to, hard to have anything uh, bad to say about those two so far. Were you in favor of the uh, Duncan Keith trade last year? Or were, were you guys one of the guys that just – didn't couldn't couldn't stand it. it was wasn't about it. Well, no, I, I, I 
some people took a really hard stance against it. The way that I looked at it was like, is Duncan Keith right now a better player than Caleb Jones? I, I think that even at his age, I think he, he still was. Now, Caleb Jones obviously has many years in the league ahead of him compared to where Keith is basically close to the end. Um, I'm just not sure that there might have been a spot for Caleb Jones going down the road. I mean, you, you look at who they have coming up on the left side. You've got Darren Elmer's locked in. You've got Philip Robert on the way. Uh, Nima Linen looks like he's going to step up and be the third pairing guy. Chris Russell is still there. There's other left shot guys in the system. They're just they're just better now. Well, they're either better or they're going to be better. And yeah, that's nothing against Caleb Jones either. I thought he had some some good moments too, and you know he can move the puck and he skates pretty well. That was an excellent fourth round pick by the Oilers in 2015. To, I agree. You know, get a guy. You know, he played almost 100 games for the Oilers in the league. So when you pick a guy in the fourth round, if he plays, I think what he got 93 games with the Oilers. That that just shows that you know that was a successful pick. Um, but then you take that pick and you turn it into a guy who can help you more right now. And I believe that Duncan Keith can help the Oilers in the 2022 playoffs more than Caleb Jones would have. And this is the time of year when I was really hoping Duncan Keith would step up and play his best hockey. He was fine during most of the regular season. He wasn't a world beater or anything like the former Norris Trophy, Conn Smythe Trophy winning Duncan Keith that we remember in the past. But he was fine, and I just said, well, this is the time of year when I want to see that leadership and that veteran ability kind of come to the forefront because he's been to the Stanley Cup final three times. He's been to the conference final, I believe, three other times. So when you have a guy who's been on six deep playoff runs in his career, I mean, that's that's the type of mentorship, leadership, whatever you want to call it, that he can pass down. And I want some of that to rub off on not just the young defenseman on the team, but on Connor McDavid and on Leon Dreisaitl. So even after Duncan Keith is gone, these guys will still have those lessons that he's kind of imparted on them, and they can use that to propel their own uh, careers forward in the playoffs. Yeah, I think it's definitely rubbing off on uh, Evan Bouchard. There, He's getting uh, a lot more yeah. gritty now in these playoffs. He's playing – some of his best hockey he's ever played. Uh, but, you know, Duncan Keith, he it's his first year on a new team. There was going to be some ups and downs, right? But as the year went on, he only got better. So I I, I was one of the guys who was like, you know what? I didn't mind the trade. I actually like the trade. I, I wanted Keith on this team. But, you know, that third-round pick and not retaining any any money, I don't want to get into it. But, you know what? It was. I think at the end of the day, would I do it again? Yes, I would do it again. I mean, here's the thing also. Uh, like they, some people were really hung up on the Oilers will owe the Blackhawks a second round pick if they reach the Stanley Cup final. That's worth it. I mean, <laughs> it's well, I mean, that's the way I look at it. Like, you, you know, oh, you'd, you'd hate to give up a, a, a high pick like that, but I mean, that's a, a pretty good situation. If we have to get that second round pick, that means a lot of things went right. Yeah, so be so, it. Yeah. And it, as, as it is, we already owe them a third rounder, but that, like I said, will become a second rounder if they make the final. Other than that, what if the Oilers win the Cup this year and he just decides to retire? If that happens, that $5.1 million, I believe, that is his cap, it will not only come off the books, but the Blackhawks are actually going to have a recapture penalty for the 13-year deal they signed him to back in 2009. So the Oilers will actually be coming out ahead with tons of cap space uh, if he decides to call it a career, and maybe he'll even retire if 
even if they don't uh, win the cup. So you never know what's going to happen. I just think some people were adamant from the start. You know, this is another decision that they didn't like from Ken Holland. Yeah. And really, it's it, it's almost like a situation where as soon as people have an opinion on a manager or a coach or a player, it's very hard for them to ever come off that stance because they've already kind of decided. Like when you kind of joked briefly about Devin Short, there was a lot of people, well, I don't know if it's fair to say a lot, but I, I noticed a, a handful of people at least on Twitter when he re-signed back in the fall to a, a one-year $700,000 deal. If they were, you know, not pleased with that. I said, I mean, this is a fourth-line fringe NHL player. And yeah. You're getting mad about like a, a league minimum contract. I think Kevin, uh, sorry, not Kevin, I, I think uh, Ken Holland has done a really good job since he's coming as GM. They haven't had the playoff success that he'd like them to have, but he's delivered three straight playoff appearances and the last time the Oilers did that was when they made the playoffs five straight years from 1997 through 2001 so it's been over 20 years since they've had three straight years where we've seen playoff hockey I mean we are a a, a fan base that is starved for any type of postseason action and to see it consistently like this I mean I think Ken Holland deserves some praise for that I also think Dave Tippett deserves some praise he helped turn this organization around and he, I still think, was the right coach at the time. They needed a veteran coach in 2019 to get this ship turned in the right direction. Yeah. But they also they also let him go and brought in Jay Woodcroft at the right time. They needed a smart, young, forward-thinking coach like they have now. So uh, there are going to be people who are never going to give Dave Tippett credit. There are going to be people who will never give Ken Holland credit. But I think that as much as you want to give Leon Dreisaitl and Conrad David credit, they deserve a lot. The guys behind the scenes and on the bench deserve uh, credit for where this team's got to as well. Yeah, I think we can finally put our trust in Ken Holland. And I do agree with you. Dave Tippett was the guy to get it started. And I think that uh, Woodcroft is the guy to get it finished. Right? So let's uh, leave it at that for now on coaching. Um, do you do you see uh mike smith or duncan keep coming back next year i know they both have one year left on their contracts but they can they can you know sit out the year on by you know a lot of teams do it ltir you know fake an injury but or they can just you know they can write off into the wind or they can finish off their contract if they do that's like what six million off the books right seven million off the books so what do you think yeah well the way they structured keith's contract if i remember it was really front-loaded so I'm actually just pulling up Cap Friendly right now to take a look at it. So Duncan Keith, his cap hit is still five point five million next year. Yeah, it's pretty ugly. But I believe, but I believe in terms of actual dollars, he's only going to be earning about half of that. Let me just see his base. His base salary next year actually is only one point five million. Like so, I mean, he could say goodbye. He yeah, now, does he want to leave $1.5 on the table and retire? Who knows? I mean, like, he's made, just from a quick glance at this, he's made over $77 million in his career. So I, I'm sure even if he's taking care of his finances even remotely well, then he's got enough money to last him for multiple generations to come. Um, he talked about 
how much it, or how important it was for him to come back to Western Canada and be closer to his son who lives in BC. Uh, maybe after one year of playing in Edmonton and getting a little bit closer, he wants to take it even a step further and actually be back in the same city with his kid. And that could make him decide to retire. But I, I don't know. I, I expect that he's going to want to come back. And, and it, that's, that's another thing that kind of bewildered me about this, this whole hate of the keep deal. It was only for two years. It's not like they were picking up a five-year contract. Like, I mean, you look at what the Vancouver Canucks did taking on Oliver Ekman Larson's contract. I mean, he signed until 2027, I think for over 8 million a year, like, uh, or 7 million, however much it is like that. Yeah, I think it was 7 million. Contract. Yeah. Whatever it was, so it wasn't pretty. No. So for the Oilers to only have two years of Duncan Keith, I mean, yeah, you, you'd prefer he was making less than 5.5 million because he's not a five and a half million dollar defenseman anymore. Well, he's even playing if, well. Even if he is playing his best, yeah. he's playing well. But he's still, he's still not. He's playing below what his what his, his average is. Less is lesser than what his contract is. Yeah. But you know, if we if we hold everyone up to their their contract expectations, I mean, then you're going to have people who will be you know yelling and screaming on Twitter about how he's not living up to. But the thing is, when he signed this contract, he was in the prime of his career, and he did deserve that money. Then it's just that he's not that type of elite defenseman anymore yeah he's going he's, uh, he's definitely on the downside of his career yeah, now so yeah, I, mean, he's, I mean he's 38 years old he's going to be turning i think 39 in the fall yep so yeah he's, he's an older defenseman uh as for mike smith yeah he signed for one more year i mean Stuart skinner is on this team next year if nothing else than the reason that he'll no longer be waiver exempt yeah uh goalie goalies get an extra year uh when their prospects instead of uh, just the standard three years that skaters get to uh, make the jump to the NHL from the AHL. So he'll be up on the team. So he's one of your two goalies. It's going to now come down to who's your other uh, goalie. Will it be Mike Smith? Miko Koskinen, uh, he, he won't be back, I'm certain. I mean, it's no, there's, there's no way. I mean, it's a numbers it's a numbers game more than anything. Like he, yeah. they they already have two goalies on the books, and you know it's like thank you for everything, but we're gonna have to move on now. Um, as for as for Smith, yeah, they they always could, I guess, try to bury him in the minors if, if they can find, like I said, an upgrade in goaltending. I, I think that they're gonna explore every avenue and see what is out there. Can they get a better goalie? And if not, then maybe what you do is. You run with Skinner as the starter and you let Smith be the backup or you do another tandem situation where they kind of split the games because I don't think Mike Smith's going to have a massive drop-off from 40 to 41. Yeah. I mean, what, I, think, I think he is what he is right now. It's not. I don't think he's necessarily getting better, but I don't think he's going to get too much tremendously worse. worse overnight. Yeah. And Stuart Skinner, he was 6-6 six and six this year as his – his overall record, but I mean, his individual numbers were pretty good. I think that it's a small sample size, but I'd like to see what he can do in a 20 game, 30 game, 50 game sample. And if he ends up taking the net and becoming the starting goalie, then that's what you want because, you know, he's going to turn 24 in November. This is the time when you want him to come in and sort of try to establish, establish himself as the starting goalie for the next 10 years. And, Maybe he'll only end up becoming a backup. We don't know, but I think that he's at least shown in the past two seasons playing in the minors 
that he has the ability to become a starting goalie in the NHL. And that would be so huge for the Oilers to draft and develop their own starter. The last time they did that was um, Devin Dubik yep. in 2004. Yeah. That'd be big. So, That'd be I mean, huge. That, I mean, it's so huge. You, It's vital that you, you find your own goaltender because that, then you get into a situation like the Oilers are in right now where they're having to explore the trade market or the fringe market to get a goaltender when maybe the the solution is in-house and it's just to elevate uh, Skinner and have him be the guy. Okay, so would you make any line changes in game number three? Uh, well, you looked at what, the one thing that they did going from 11 and 7 in game one to 12 and 6 in game two when they brought Archibald into the lineup. I think now that Archibald has received clearance to play in the United States, they're probably going to just keep the lineup the same. And really, when you when you have a 6 nothing win, you don't want to tinker with that too much. I expect that the Kings will try and do some line matchup things at home and try and you know stem the tide and see if they can kind of take some of the wind out of the Oilers' sails that they were able to run with in game two. But I, I don't think the Oilers are going to be the ones to make any drastic changes. Like, when you have a winning lineup like that, I think you just stick with it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know what? What it, Like, if it, if it's working, why would you change it, right? And for the LA Kings, they can they can try their best, but I really don't see them uh, do anything to stifle uh, McDavid or Dry Saddle. Those guys are only getting started right now. Um, right. Yeah. They. I, I mean, look. The Oilers in Game One, I felt looked nervous, and they felt like they weren't ready because they gave up a scoring chance ten seconds into the game and were yep. sort of in, in chase mode all night. I just feel like if you if you look at the way that this team has performed under pressure and the way they bounced back, you know, they haven't lost back to back games many times under Woodcroft, especially in regulation. So I feel like. This is a team that knows how to win. They were the fourth best team in the NHL over the last three months of the season. There, there should be no doubt that they have the ability to win when it matters. And um, I, I don't know. I just feel like uh, it, they're going to be a tough out for the Kings. Okay, kind of, kind of a wild card question here, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, let's say um, that Bakersfield, you know, they they either win win early or they lose early, uh, and you're able to call up Holloway. Would you do it? And if so, in what capacity? Like, where where would you slate him into the lineup? I think that he could play in the NHL right now. Um, you know, Ken Holland likes to slow play his prospects. And I, I, I just, I, I get it to an extent. You know, he wants them to like show that they can earn it down there. And I really thought that Holloway could be a point-per-game player in the AHL this year. He started out that way. I believe he had six points in his first six games. Then he hit a little bit of a a little bit of a rough patch where he went, I think, five or six games without a point, and yeah. he started to turn it on again, and, and he had another hot stretch. But if you think about it, he was coming back from over nine months off of not playing hockey. And now here he is finding success at the AHL level, proving that he's an elite player. At that he's level. driving the play, you know, too. Yeah, his skating ability, his passing ability, his puck skills, they're fantastic. He reminds me a lot of Taylor Hall. Me too, uh, me I too. Him. I was actually going to say that. I mean, I, I've heard a couple other people say that as well. 
And as soon as I saw it and I saw other people say that, I'm like, okay, well, I'm not the only one who's making this now. Just the way that he skates with the puck, the way that he has kind of that hunched over, um, explosive skating stride. Uh, just there, there's so many similar things between him and Hall. And I'm not saying that he's going to be the same player as Hall at the NHL level. I mean, Hall was a 90-point scorer one yeah. season, uh, uh, an MVP. I'm, I'm not putting that on Hallway. Just stylistically, no, I think yeah. they are similar. Now, I do think that Holloway should be at least a 50-point player uh, when he gets to, you know, his prime. I, I'd hope even higher than that. But this is a guy who I think could contribute right away just because of his speed and his forward-checking ability. Um, his two-way game is good too, no? Yeah, yeah. He's de- defensively responsible, I think. I mean, the way that I would slot him in is you, you'd put him on the third line with Nugent Hopkins and Derek Ryan. And because, I mean, he, he's going to play left wing when he gets to the NHL anyway. He has the ability to play center, but the Oilers have so many centers right now that they need him on the wings more. And I think that he's fine there. Uh, that gives Nuge a little more skill to play with because, you know, I really like the way the top line is set up, especially with McDavid uh, thriving with uh, Evander Kane and you've got Jesse with them. Second line, I think it works really well with uh, Yamamoto and Dreisaitl uh, and then flanked by Hyman, of course. And then on the third line, give Nuge a little more talent to play with. Nothing against Fogel. I mean, Fogel can have some good moments too, but if you drop him down to the fourth line, that pushes a guy like Devin Shore out of the lineup. And uh, it, it gives uh, Holloway a chance to slot in right there in a, a, a soft minutes kind of third line where he doesn't have to go up against the top defensive units every night and I think that's a good way to bring him in it's a little bit of a pressure cooker to have him come in in the playoffs I know Ryan McLeod came into the the Oilers with 10 games left in the regular season last year yeah and that was enough of a, a, enough of a situation I mean you think of a guy like Sam Gagne who played so many years in Edmonton and never got to play a playoff game and now here's Ryan McLeod uh his 11th game in the NHL is a playoff game for the Oilers like just completely opposite ends of the spectrum and to have the Holloway take that even further and make his debut in the, the playoffs that would be that would be a, a big ask but I don't know I just think that the way he's playing he wouldn't be out of place if he did he's a very big boy who can skate you know and on on yes, Ryan McLeod too sorry on uh, Ryan McLeod too sorry yeah sorry to interrupt you there but uh he, sometimes when I watch that guy man he skates like a rocket I don't know if that's if that's him or if that's number 97, you know, geez. I was going to say, like, his hands aren't at even close to where Connors are, but there there are times when, like, you know, I'll be sitting in the living room and I'm either grabbing, like, a, a drink of water to just, uh, you know, or a chip or, or something, and then you, you look up at the screen and you see this guy skating up the ice with the puck. And it's like, holy, look at Connor going and say, wait, that's not Connor. That's 71. <laughs> so he he has those moments where he looks Connor-esque. Uh, but realistically, you know, he's not going to put up the type of numbers Connor is. Oh, no, I'm talking about just just his feet. His oh, feet are he's crazy. The, yes, he's the, he's the second best skater on the team, for yeah. sure. And, and, you know, the Oilers have some other speedsters as well. Like, I think Darnell Nurse is one of the best skating defensemen in the league. Uh, speaking of Warren Fogel, I think that he's actually a really good skater too. Hyman has pretty good straight line speed. Um, and, you know, Nuge is like a, a good overall skater. Not a burner, but like a good skater. Uh, so really there, there are some 
some talented skaters, but yes, to have a guy like McLeod, like he is just barely scratching the surface on the type of player he can be. He's only 22. I can't wait to see where this guy's going to go. I think he'll be an oiler for 10 years and he'll be really effective on a third line center role and maybe, you know, moonlight on the wing in the top six every once in a while too. I agree 100% with you, bud. Um, so you were talking about lines just now. You know what? I, I do like the top line of Kane, McDavid, and Pugliarvi. That's a huge line. I do. Um, second line, though, how would you how would you feel about a third line of, uh, you know, Nuge, maybe Holloway and Hyman, and then that and then leaving the, the door open for a second line of McLeod, Drysaddle, and Yamamoto. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: Hyman is a right shot, but he likes to play the off wing. Yep. So that's why you put him on the left side. Um, here, here's where discussions are going to have to come in about keeping Evander Kane because. Dylan Holloway is a big part of the future. Eventually, he's going to be a top six winger, if not a top line winger. I mean, you look at Kane turns 31 this summer. Hyman turns 30, uh, whereas Holloway is only 20, 20 years, years old. old yep. so, he's, so he's a decade younger than those two guys. Now, at, at this point, Hyman and Kane are both better than Holloway is today. Will they be better than him in five years? Maybe not. Uh, now, Hyman is locked in for six more seasons after this. Kane is a free agent. I think the Oilers should try to do everything they can to keep Kane. Uh, maybe they'll just get priced out and he'll end up going to Pittsburgh or Washington or wherever. But if there's a possibility to bring him back, I would absolutely do that. What would you um, give him? So, oh, you know, I talked about this on my show as well. Right now, the Oilers, with the salary cap going up about $1 million, they're, they're going to have about $13.5 million in cap space. Yep. So if we if we assume that they're not going to go out and get a goalie and they're just going to run with Smith and uh, Skinner next year, then that means they have $13.5 million to sign Evander Kane, Brett Kulak, Kyler Yamamoto, and Jesse Pugliar. And Ryan McLeod. So, uh, yes, and Ryan McLeod. Sorry, his, his ELC is up too. Looking at the left-wing depth chart, that could be your, your three left-wingers next year if you wanted to run with Kane, Hyman, and uh, Holloway. The thing is, how long do you want to have Holloway on the third line? Is he going to knock Hyman down? Well, now you're going to have a $5.5 million third-line left-winger. That's not ideal. No. Uh, Evander Kane. I mean, Evander Kane is the best of the three of them right now. Uh, but the thing is, he might not make that kind of money like he's he's probably going to be searching for a bigger deal but realistically like I, I just the oilers can't afford to do it anyway even if they wanted to so if he's coming back to edmonton it's going to be like well look you have a chance here on a, a team that's on the, the up and up to play with the best player in the world on his line maybe win a stanley cup uh you know hopefully your money situation in san jose gets resolved because I think they still owed him like $28 million or something like that. So yeah. uh, if, if, if he gets that money, then he's well, going to want less. Maybe it, then maybe it, he won't be as eager to seek every single dollar that he could possibly squeeze out of the oil. So, you know, if, if he can take a bit of a, I, it's not, I can't really call it a hometown deal because he's not a, a hometown guy, but if he could take it a bargain deal because he's, getting that money from the Sharks, then that would benefit the Oilers. I just think that I would try to sign him to, uh, like, I, I'm even hesitant to go four by four because I don't know what he's going to be like five years from now. I was going to say, would you would you give him five times three? Let's say yeah, five million times you know, three years? 
I mean, but then you're not leaving yourself much room for Yamamoto. Like you're really, you're pretty much going to have to bridge Tyler Yamamoto and Jesse Pulleyarvey to have any chance because, like, I I would have signed Pulleyarvey long term. You almost can't now, just because the, the, there's not going to be enough money for what he would expect on some UFA years. Yeah. Uh, so so I would say yeah, do what you can. I mean, three by three would be my dream for him, but you know, I, I'm sure he's going to want like like you said, five by three, if they could get him. And like I said, maybe this is just a, a half a year thing that we had Kane and he helped move this team forward and we helped him reestablish some value. But I just think he's having so much fun here. He hasn't actually been on many playoff teams in his career. So if he goes on a long run with the Oilers, he might say, you know, this was kind of fun. And I kind of like playing with the best player in the world. I, I'm going to come back and, and do a little more of this next season. But the thing is, like you said, you can't, you can't, be in a spot where Holloway has no room to move up the lineup because he's got Hyman and Kane in front of him. So maybe there is an opportunity to have Kane on a shorter deal because I don't think anyone really wants Hyman playing on the third line. Like That was sort of the idea when he came in that this was going to be Connor's left winger. But they didn't know that they were going to get a Vander Kane. They didn't know when Holloway would be ready because of his injury. So they, you know, Ken Holland really had to have someone in place to kind of upgrade the depth on the wing. And, uh, I would just say overall, I, I think that it would be smart to bring them back if you could. Very well thought out. Um, yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. Hopefully, hopefully we see him back here next year. I feel like the city has really rallied around him and he's become an Edmontonian kind of, you know? Um, so last, last question. Mm-hmm. Does this series go five? Six or seven games. <laughs> well, I predicted on my podcast that it would go five games. Five games. Uh, I I didn't anticipate them losing the first game of the season, though, or the first game of the series, I should say. Yeah. So uh, I I mean, I think I think six games is probably a smarter bet than or a safer bet than than five games. But I mean, you look at how these two teams played in the regular season. The Oilers owned them in three of the four games. Uh, and the one game the Kings did win, they really piled it on late in the third period when they were on a five-minute power play. Yeah, that was a big power play. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, other than other than that one really kind of tough tough half of a period where they, they lost it, the, the Oilers won twice in their building. And I think that should give us some confidence going down to L.A., uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they come back to Edmonton up three games to one. Now, that, I'm not calling a guarantee or anything, but I think that you know they are in a spot where this team is feeling really good about themselves. And you know, if you had to lose one of the games at home, maybe it's better that you actually did lose game one because they're riding all that confidence now uh, going into game three in LA tomorrow. All right, folks, you heard it here. Eric Friesen is calling six games now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I was. I, I want to stick. I'm saying that that's a safer bet. I I can't go back on the prediction I already made of five games. So if the Oilers are going to make me look smart here, they have to win four straight. Hey, I think they can do it. I say it could be good. It could be done in five. And you know what? I'm hoping that the Dallas Stars beat up on the Flames. So you know, if the Flames do end up winning the series, at least the Oilers will have a little bit of rest time by the time the the Flames get there. Yeah. Well. Knock on wood, right? Uh, we can only hope and pray and blood, sweat, and tears, you know? <laughs> it, it would be cool to see a battle of Alberta in the playoffs. Like, 
class. I mean, it's it's only happened six times before. The last, the most recent time was 1991. So there's one whole, if not two whole generations of Oilers fans who have never seen a playoff series between these two teams. And I think that it would just be insane. I mean, Twitter wasn't around in the 80s, but it, it, if it was... I Can you imagine if it was? My God. Nuts. Yeah, it would have been nuts. So uh, to have this sort of... Uh, this rivalry come into the the 2020s uh, from the 1980s, I think uh, it would just sort of rejuvenate everything. And really, you look at all the characters involved, like all all the stars on the Oilers, the Flames and, and their top players, including the rivalry between Kachuk and Cassian. I just think like we're just we're just waiting for something like this. Now, I I still hope the Flames are going to lose in the first round. I mean, I, I I can't bring myself to cheer for them in any scenarios so abc uh, right anybody but the flames yeah but if they do if they do end up winning it would be cool to have a battle of alberta so i'll uh, i'll say that but i'm i'm not actively hoping that they that they win so that uh, we get to have that matchup well let's just both agree that we want the oilers to move on and go as far as they can and i think that's that's where we'll uh, end off things on this uh segment but thank you for joining us uh really really appreciate it yeah, my pleasure. Uh, I'd love to do it again anytime you guys want. Okay, good ha- good having you on, bud, and we'll talk to you another time. Thanks, Mr. X. Thank you, Eric. That was Eric Friesen of the 99 Forever podcast, uh, editor-in-chief and writer at Heavy Hockey. Thanks, bud. Later. See ya. Okay, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the pod and follow us on Twitter at New World Oilers. Tune in next time for another episode of the NWO Podcast, a.k.a. The Dub. I'm your host, Mr. X, signing off.